everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. Voici la question. Uh, Êtes-vous prêt? The question, are you ready? Here we go. Are you ready to study God's word today? All right. If you brought a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Matthew in just a little bit. If you want to, uh, to go ahead and find Matthew uh, 26. And uh, while you're finding that, I want to give you a secret today. That, that I want to teach you how to pray in a way that can unlock the heart of God and gets to the very heart of what, of what Jesus is about. And if you will pray the way that, that we're going to talk about today, this is a prayer that God will say yes to every single time. You say, what, Joel? How can that be? That, doesn't, that does not sound theologically correct. Yes, listen. If you pray this way, God will say yes every single time. Here it is, five words. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Lord, Lord, your will be done. Lord, your will be done. Everybody, let's say it together. Lord, your will be done. But see, the problem is, here's the difference. Usually what our prayers are about, culturally, we have been taught that prayer not that we can't ask God, not that we cannot bring our request to him. Yes, we can. But the, the, the essence of prayer, the very thrust of prayer, the heart behind prayer is not about what we often think it is, which is we often think it's about asking God for what we want. Lord, I want my will to be done. How can you help me accomplish my goals in my life? But when we instead begin to play, pray, Lord, may your will be done. It's not about what I want, but about what you want. That is a prayer that God wants to answer in your life every single time. In fact, here's how Jesus taught us how to pray. In Matthew 6, this is called the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said that, when we pray, here is an outline, a, a format for us to use with a number of different subjects that are important in powerful prayer. And so let's go ahead. We'll read it together first. Everybody, uh, let's read this out loud together. Jesus said, when we pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so right at the top, Jesus says that the first priority of prayer is worship, to hallow the name of the Father, which means to declare its holiness. It's another word for worship. To focus on who God is, his perfection, his beauty, his glory. And the reason that, that, that this is the first priority of prayer, hallowing the name of our Father in heaven, is because 
He is the one who is perfect, not us. His are the plans. His are the desires that are pure and good, not ours. And so that's why it's the first priority of prayer, because it's so important to get our hearts and our minds focused on God and, and who He is, on His character and the promises of His Word. And then the next line is what we're going to focus on today. And then Jesus said to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. That we are to pray that his will, his kingdom would come into our jobs, into our, our families. That God's kingdom would come into our, our finances. That God's kingdom would come into our relationships and, and priorities. That they would be here on earth as it is in heaven. And did you know that Jesus himself prayed this exact same way in his life? Let me show you in, in Matthew chapter 26, if you've already found it. Here Jesus is about to be arrested in Matthew 26. And Jesus is about to go through a trial where they lie and make up stuff against him. They bring false charges. And he is about to be sentenced to death. He's going to suffer and be tortured and ridiculed and spat upon. They are going to crucify him and hang him on a cross, suffering in excruciating pain to take the punishment for the sins of the world in order that we can be forgiven. And knowing that he is about to go through that, Jesus prays something shocking. He says, Father, is there any other way that you could accomplish your purpose? Father, is there some other way that you could bring salvation to the world that would not force me to have to go through this painful season? And listen to this whole exchange with his disciples where they learn this truth. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. How many of you have been there before? Or your soul feels overwhelmed with sorrow. You're going through a season of, of stress and anxiety and trouble that seems to have no end. You feel like you're going to, to die. And you're asking, Lord, will you please deliver me from this where I don't have to go through it? And so Jesus knows what that feels like. In verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. If there's any other way, 
But then Jesus prayed the exact way that he taught us how to pray. Verse 39, nevertheless, Father, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus taught us to pray to the Father the same way that that he prayed. Father, not my will be done, but yours. Not what I want, but what you want. Because listen, whenever we make life about what we want rather than what God wants, that always leads to disappointment. I remember when I was a kid, what I really wanted in my life was a skateboard. That's what I really wanted. (laughs) Now, today kids have these big long boards. Some of them even have electric, like you don't even have to kick or go downhill. But these big long boards that have big wheels and they're real stable and that's not what we had back in the 70s and early 80s. Skateboards were these tiny little things that were twitchy and hard to ride. But man, I wanted one so bad. The other kids had one, and, and, and so, so I, I saved up my money. And I couldn't afford to get a really nice one, but I, I could afford kind of the Walmart version. And so I went and I got my first skateboard. And it looked a lot like this. It was red. It looked almost identical to this one that I found online. In fact, I, I kind of wonder what that's going for on eBay today. Just another way to break my wrist. And so I saved up my money. And, 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 and with my new skateboard, I, I was heading out with, with my friends. And, and my mother said, now, Joel, you be what? what mothers, what, what do you say? You be careful. careful. Oh, your, your mother said it too. Huh? And, and I said, I know, Mom, I know. Skateboards are dangerous. I'll be careful. But see, her definition of careful and my definition of careful are two very different things. You see, my definition of careful means that when we line up and race our skateboards down the hill, that instead of standing up like this, let's lay down on our bellies, face down the hill. Oh, this is going to turn out good. And so... A couple of us lined up at the top of the hill and we laid face down on our bellies, me on my new beautiful skateboard, the one that my mother had warned me about, but the one that I knew that was going to be so wonderful. One, two, three, go. It is amazing how fast it feels going downhill. When you are on a skateboard on your belly, face forward with your face three inches above the ground. It was the greatest ride of my life until. Do do you know what happens when a skateboard wheel, the kind that we had in the 70s and 80s, hits a rock? Do, Do you know what happens when a skateboard wheel hits a rock? It grinds to a stop. And do you know what happens when a little boy is riding on that skateboard, on his belly, with his face three inches above the ground? It grinds to a stop, and I did not. And I slid out onto the pavement, down the hill, on the left side of my face, 
just shredding my face like a meat grinder with gravel and blood everywhere. And after that, the worst part, I could not drink orange juice for like a month or two months. I could hardly eat anything because for the longest time, the left side of my face was covered with scabs. Now, I wasn't going to tell you, but I also, about two months later, I, I, I wasn't on the skateboard. I was on my bicycle and we were playing bicycle polo where you kick the ball and my pedal hit the ball and I fell and scraped the other side of my face. It was a beautiful sight. I looked like Freddy Krueger. If I hadn't messed up my face so bad today, the doctor said I would look just like Brad Pitt. It's, true. And so, so this, this, this skateboard that I had longed for, this thing that I had saved for and begged for and, and made my life about and spent all my money on, do you know where it ended up? In the closet. <laughs> because sometimes you want something so bad and when you get it, it's not exactly what you had hoped. I, I, this happens sometimes in relationships, doesn't it? In relationships, guys, you see that, that girl that gets your attention and, and you try to get her attention and you come along and you kind of, you kind of get in, hey girl, how you doing? And she pays no attention and kind of goes along, but, but she's all you can think about, right? She becomes the object of your desire. You would do anything to be able to spend time with her. And finally, finally, after pursuing her and wooing her, finally comes the day when she says yes, and you go out on a date, and you start dating, and that's when you discover that girl is crazy. I mean, like messed up, loose, screws loose, certifiable, scary crazy. Have you been there? And God says, maybe you should have asked for my will before you went running after what you thought you wanted. Now, fortunately, women are so much smarter than men. Can I get an amen? Because women, you've never dated a guy who turned out to be a dud, have you? You've never married somebody or... Or, or started to, and then all of a sudden found out, this is not what I thought. And the Bible says sometimes we chase so hard after what we want, rather than stopping and ask, Lord, I want your kingdom to come. What is your will that needs to be done in my life as it is in heaven? See, folks, that's what prayer is about. It's asking God, what do you want for my life? Praying, Lord, I want your kingdom to come, and I want to settle for nothing less. Lord, I want your kingdom to come into my job and my career decisions, that the light of Christ would shine through me, that all of my business decisions, all of my work decisions would be honoring to you, that I would, that I would operate with integrity in a way that when people see the way that I work, they see a reflection of God's kingdom in my life. 
Lord, I I want your kingdom to come into my relationships. And I know I can't change somebody else. I know I can't make the decisions that I wish that I could make for them to get them to straighten out and straighten up and do what I think they need to do. And I can't control them, but God, I know I can have control over what I do in my own life. And so, Lord, as it pertains to how I deal with my relationships, Lord, I want your kingdom to come in my life. Lord, I want your kingdom to come in my finances that the things that I do with my money would reflect your priorities in Scripture, that that your kingdom would come. Lord, I want want your kingdom to come into my priorities on earth as it is in heaven. And whether you realize it or not, when you ask God's kingdom to come into your life, it always comes with three things. Did you know that? God's kingdom, when it comes, always comes with three things. Do you know what they are? Let me show you in Romans chapter 14. Here are the three things that God's kingdom always comes with. Romans 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, let's look at this this first part. What is the kingdom of God not? Romans 14 says it is not a matter of eating and drinking. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish religion that Jesus was speaking into himself as a Jew, you know that much of it was about eating and drinking and what you could and could not and, and rules and regulations. And Jesus says that's not what the kingdom of God is really about, rules and regulations. And I, and I think when it, when it speaks of eating and drinking, I think this is also talking about how we as humans are consumers, right? We are consumers. That so much of our life is about what's my next meal? What's my next pleasure? What is it that my body desires and, and craves? But the kingdom of God is not about what you can consume. The kingdom of God is about what you can become. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is not about consuming the world. The kingdom of God is about becoming more like Jesus. And Romans 14, 17 says that when the kingdom of God comes in your life, that it comes with three things. Will you say them with me? Everybody help me out. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. Say it again so that you don't lose it. The kingdom of God is about what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, now what is righteousness? Let's talk about these three. First of all, I think when it comes to righteousness, Many times I think people in our world today get a wrong idea about righteousness. You see, I think many times when people think about faith and and, and following Jesus, many times they think of righteous as self-righteous, which is being arrogant and haughty and a religious spirit that looks down on other people. But self-righteousness, Righteousness is the exact opposite of biblical righteousness because the righteousness of Christ is actually about humility. And yet it's so disheartening in our world today 
How many people, even how many Christians, seek out leadership that is brash and arrogant and self-righteous and condemning and critical and call-out culture that calls people names? And how many Christians today even seem to want leaders like that? And sometimes I wonder, what's going on? And then I read Scripture and I realize that is nothing new. It's exactly what the disciples thought leadership was about to at first. In Luke chapter 22, verse 24, it says, They began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. That is the self-righteousness of the world. They thought leadership was about ego and dominance and arrogance. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they're called friends of the people. He said, that's how the, the kingdoms of this world work. But among you, in God's kingdom, among you, it will be different. Those who would be the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? And he says, well, in the world, obviously, in the kingdoms of this world, it's the one who sits at the table, but not here, not in God's kingdom. Jesus says, for I am among you as one who serves. That's what it looks like to, to, to have the kingdom of God come into your life. The kingdom of God that, that the righteousness of Christ is about humility and servanthood and bringing everything in our lives into alignment with his word, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of God is, is near. Repent is another way of saying confess. Turn around, make a change, for the kingdom of God is near. Ephesians 5, 5 says, for this, of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. And so God can't make things righteous. Jesus can't make things right in our lives until we can confess what is wrong in our lives. But when we finally come to the point of confession and, and, and repentance, that's what leads to number two, peace. The peace of God that scripture says passes all understanding. In other words, God offers a peace that just does not make sense to people in the world. Now, what is the, the Hebrew word for peace that Jesus would have probably said like a hundred times a day? Because it's a greeting and also how you say goodbye. Do you know the word? What is it? Shalom, exactly. Shalom means peace with God and peace with others. In Israel, even to this day, it's how you say hello. It's how you say goodbye. It's, it's how you offer a blessing over someone. And Jesus says that he is the only true source of shalom. 
When his kingdom comes, that's when we find peace. Doesn't that sound good in a world that is filled with turmoil and fear and anxiety and conflict and fighting and pressure? Doesn't it sound good to finally find the peace of God that that passes all understanding, which leads to number three, joy. Joy. The joy of the Lord that the Bible talks about. So let's step back and look at how all of this fits together. You see, here's here's what I think we sometimes miss. Joy is not the goal. We think in Western culture that joy is the goal, the pursuit of happiness. Joy is not a goal. Joy is a byproduct. Joy is a byproduct of pursuing something else, the kingdom of God. And where does the kingdom of God start? It starts with righteousness. When God reveals the things in our lives that are not right, that we need to repent and confess and get his help in in helping our lives to come into alignment with his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And, And when we finally surrender to the righteousness of Christ, what is the result in our life? Peace. Right? The peace of God that that is peace with God and peace with others. That should sound very familiar, right? God's love in us to the world. Peace with God and peace with others. The, 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 The shalom, the quiet, humble peace that the Bible talks about. And the result of finding that kind of peace that that comes out of the righteousness of Christ, the result, the byproduct, is joy. And I think here's what we so often fail to understand in our world, is that joy is not the goal. Joy is something that we get in the pursuit of God's kingdom, which starts with righteousness. With righteousness which can only come through the forgiveness of Christ who died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. But here's the big lie of our world. And for some of us here today, this is where all of a sudden it's starting to make sense. Light bulbs are coming on. It's like, oh, I'm starting to see the difference between the world and God's kingdom. And it's this. Our world says that there are shortcuts to joy. Our world says there are shortcuts to joy. That you don't need God's kingdom. You don't need the righteousness of Christ. You don't need to be at peace with God. All you need to do, the world says, to find joy is find sexual fulfillment. If if you could just express yourself sexually in the way that you desire, that's how you'll find joy. Or or the world says, for for some, you know, what you really need is money. If If you can just get enough money, then you'll finally be happy in the way that you've always wanted. Or if you can just find the right person, that joy comes in your life only through the Hallmark movie of finding that guy or that girl who comes into your life and makes things so much better and completes you and fulfills you, and then you'll finally find joy. Or if you can just find the right friends 
Or, or, or if you could finally move to the beach and buy that cottage that you've always wanted or, or just have the right car or the right stuff. And the world says that joy will be the result of these things that are shortcuts. And then here's what I find again and again is that so often people who are following Jesus become disappointed with God. They become frustrated. And I hear it all the time because they're saying, I've prayed and I've prayed. And God has never given me the things that the world says will bring me joy. Why isn't God answering my prayer? And maybe it's because we've been praying for the wrong things. Because Jesus said the way that we should pray is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your kingdom of righteousness and purity and holiness and peace, peace with God and, and peace with others. And the result is the joy of the Lord as his will is done here on earth, in our lives, in our church, in our family, as it is in heaven. Next week, uh, Pastor Austin is going to talk about how God's kingdom cannot come into your life until Jesus is king. That's next week. Jesus is king over everything in your life. And when we do that, the reality is that God actually does want good things for us, right? God wants to bless us. Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter answered Jesus and said, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on thrones. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or children or fields, who's given up everything for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Listen, I'm here to tell you, folks, Jesus is a king that you can't outgive. Whatever you give him, he'll give you back more. Listen, his rule is what makes you right. His dominion is better than your opinion. Come on now. His, his, his lordship is the basis for your relationship. I think it's time to get excited in his house today. Do you know him? Listen, listen. Even though you don't deserve him, there is joy when you serve him. <laughs> you can thrill in his will when his throne becomes your home. Have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. And so wherever you are on that journey today, know that we are so, so very glad that you came. We're so glad that you came today. And hopefully God has been speaking to your heart wherever you are on that journey. Can I, can I pray with you? Let, let's stand together.
Father in heaven, holy is your name. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And God, anything in us that's not in alignment with your desires, with heavenly values, God, that you would speak to us today and show us as we confess to receive your righteousness and the peace that comes with being right in our relationship with you and, and peace with others as we seek to live out that peace in our world. Enjoy. Lord, for some here today, it's been a long time since we've experienced joy. And Lord, I pray that as we sing today and declare Jesus to be our King, that maybe a seed, a, a spark of joy would ignite to give some people hope today that you're not done with them yet, that this is just the beginning, that you have good things in store for them, that the sins and the bondage that they thought they could never leave behind, that you are strong enough, that you are powerful enough, you are good enough to wash us clean and make us right. And so Lord, give us this day our daily bread as we forgive those who have hurt us and wronged us. And as we also forgive those and ask for confession and forgiveness for what we have done to others, maybe somebody that we need to go and, and tell them, look, I'm sorry, I was out of line. Maybe that's what we need to do to be made right. Maybe there's somebody that we need to confess and apologize to. And Lord, deliver us from evil. For we know the evil one is prowling in this world, seeking whom he can devour. Lord, I pray your protection over these, your servants. And Lord, that you would give each person spiritual eyes, discernment to be able to know the difference between truth and lie, the difference between light and the darkness of evil. Lord, that you would give spiritual discernment, maybe to see some things or maybe to see some people or situations in our lives that we've not seen through your eyes. And so, Lord, I pray that you would deliver your people from evil. For, Lord, you are, are the king, and yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forevermore. In Jesus' name, and everybody say, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.